Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. How we doing? Okay. Man, a lot of Chiefs fans in here today. Hey, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here at Trails. I'm going to pray real quick, and we will dive into this morning, Father. So pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, what you're doing in this church. And uh, God, I just ask that you would begin to mold our hearts uh, with what it is you want us to hear today. Um, as we dive into things that aren't easy these next few months, are just not easy topics. But God, you are doing something here that uh, is changing lives um, as evidence even last week. We love you. We thank you. Um, and it is in your name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, can, can I, I know I say this often, but I just feel like today's a good day. Can we, can we just make some noise for our worship team? And they're like really good. We can get louder than that probably, can't we? They don't hear us back there. Yay. Good job. Um, I, I say this often. I have, I, so I'm in these Facebook groups with other church planners so we can cry together. And, um, I, People have actually seen some of our stuff online. They're like, how do you have all this incredible media stuff? And I'm like, well, because I spent a lot of time doing it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we have a guy, Dusty, who works really hard and is super talented. And you guys have this great band. I'm like, no. Where did you get them? I said, I don't, I don't really know. It's going to happen, and they're really good. And uh, I just want you guys to know how rare it is. There's a lot of churches who are still a year, two, three, four in, and they just have one guy who's really gifted on guitar. And then a dude who isn't good enough to play a full drum set, but can play a cajon. Um, and that's pretty much it. So uh, I want you guys to hear that. I know we're a little out of the way here in the boonies. But before we get started, I want to share a couple of things with you guys so that we can kind of get excited about what's happening here. I, I definitely think that we're on this cusp of things. And I, we just need to be together and pray on some things. So um, the first thing I want to tell you about, I was kind of back and forth. And if you saw videos uh, at all of anything we put out. This week, you may have seen some kind of news that may be coming down the tube. Um, and so I wasn't going to say anything, but I feel like maybe we should be just united in prayer with this. We uh, have an opportunity to get a building. Um, yeah. And it, and it, it doesn't suck. It's, I mean, it's a nice building. Um, it would actually be right in the middle of downtown PR. Uh, it would kind of answer a lot of problems. We would have cell phone signal and Wi-Fi. Which is, a, yeah, a big deal, I know. Because I know some of you guys are like, man, I would totally take a picture in this incredible quote and put it on Facebook, but I can't access any internet here, which I get. I'm sorry. Hang with us. Uh, but it's going to take a few things. It's going to take, obviously, some prayer and some favor. It's going to take uh, some finances. So we got to start giving. And I promise you, my wife and I are cutting down as much as we can to make that happen. Um, and we got to get word out. And we got to keep talking to people about this. Um, it's really an, an interesting dynamic we have in PR. Uh, we're about to have a lot of people move into the city. Uh, and I'm not even just talking about the main thing that's going on on 25. We've got townhouses and homes and neighborhoods everywhere. And those people need hope. They need a place to be. Um, and so I, I need your help to do that, to, to talk and to uh, be sharing with people about what's happening here. That's only one of the three really huge great things that are happening. And I'm not going to tell you the other two, so you'll have to wait. Um, so, yeah, you guys so sad. But um, another thing that we have, my wife is uh, pretty awesome. She has spent time making these great stickers as well for cars. Um, and we want you to throw one of these on your car as well. There's three options or four options maybe so that if you really hate one color, I'm great news with other colors. Uh, but even mountains and 4 yard or tailside logo, uh, I would love just to drive into Walmart and see a few of these hanging out. I think that'd be really cool. Um, and then I'll text him, like, hey, you're at Walmart. Uh, it's exciting. We should shop together or something. I don't know what I meant by that. Um, I'm really sorry. But uh, if you will, do those things. Check in on Facebook, even though you got to do it in the parking lot. Let people know that you're here. Um, we got some big, big stuff coming. And I just think that uh, one thing we can do is to get the word out there and talk to people about it. And uh, great things will happen. So uh, anyway, we'll get to the word while we're here. So if you want to go ahead and grab Bibles or phones or whatever you might use, we're going to turn to Genesis Today, we're going to talk about a wonderful topic that no one's ever heard of. It's very rare in the Bible. It's called the fall of man. Um, you probably have never heard of that before. But um, while you're getting there, uh, I want to kind of tell you what this series is about. This 
some assembly required idea. Uh, this is something that we've actually been toying with for months and months and months. Uh, I know it may seem crazy. We actually plan our series out every six to eight months. So um, this is one of those things. And it's taken about nine different forms because we didn't exactly know what we wanted it to look like. But one thing that we've seen and prayed for and understood is that uh, we have an issue with comparison in our world. We have an issue with seeing things and coveting them and desiring them and maybe even tearing ourselves down and said, I wish I had that. Or why did he get the promotion and not me? Anybody been there before? I have. Yeah. And, and we, we've done this thing where we have decided that our lives are supposed to be perfect right away and we don't have to do all the work that comes behind it. Or we don't see the work. Or even more so, we see people and we don't see the debt and the hardship and the birth of their kingdom. We just see, man, they went on a really fancy vacation where the water's clear and they do this and look great in the bikini, and I want to do that. And I do look great in the bikini when I do this. So, um, kidding. <clears throat> but, but what we've noticed in how the world works is that uh, we all want a perfect life. Like, nobody says, I really want to struggle, you know? When I was at uh, North Greenville College, I'm old before I had the opportunity to leave a little earlier than I had planned. I met this guy, and he wanted to be a missionary. I was like, that's cool, man. Like, you know, you want to go live in dirt? That's awesome. Like, you know, I'll see 20 bucks here and there and encourage you, but you know you're not totally alone. And I said, so, so what, what brought that on? You know, like, what, what made you want to go and be a missionary in some random country where people don't look like you and a language you don't speak? And he said one of the worst things I've ever heard for a reason of being a missionary in my life. He said, I just want to get martyred for the gospel. Intense, right? That's not, yeah, I'm not making that up. I'm like, wow, that is a call. Um, and I said, why, why is that? Like, why is that your next step? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go to college get a bunch of debt, and I'm just going to go get murdered for Jesus. It sounds awesome. Like, why? Uh, have you ever read books? Do you know what dying feels like when it's in an unnatural state, especially? And he looked at me, he was like, it just seems like I could give everything to the Lord. And I thought, bro, you need to read a book. Like, you know, go watch a movie. PG-13 is okay. It's not going to kill you. But we all have this definition of what a perfect life looks like, Right? My wife has been throwing bags and bags of things away, donating them because of some woman who tells me I should apologize for my clothes or something like that. And there's all of you who are also doing it. Like, I have many pieces of clothing to thank when I get back to my room today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as she was watching that, I was watching a different documentary on this thing called the Fire Festival. Anybody seen that? It's kind of a hot topic right now. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go watch it. Understand it's got some language and some things in it. But it's basically this guy who was a con man. He sold a totally fake festival to a bunch of people and charged them tens of thousands of dollars. And it was supposed to be this thing where there are celebrities and uh, models and great music people were coming. And Wink-182, I guess they play music. Um, they were going to be there. They were saying they rugged through tents, and then they did it in a little bit of time, and they had no food, no water, no way to take care of these people. And they got there, and they were staying in FEMA tents and beds that were soaked, and there was no music whatsoever. Now the guy's going to jail for it. But um, I noticed something in the entire planning of this documentary that this guy says. Um, him and this guy named Ja Rule, you may remember him from the 90s, because it's murder. Ja Rule, don't go look him up. Because he was terrible. But um, not only bad, I mean, like, it's bad. It's not good. But, uh, but there was a thing where they were, they were talking about selling this idea to And they said, man, we're going to get people to have an opportunity to live like they think celebrities live for three days. They're going to pay tons of money and we're going to get rich. And I thought, man, if that is not the most unbelievable, like, picture of our world today where we want everything everyone else has. We believe that people with all money, all things are happy, have achieved all the things in the world that we would want down the road, comfort and peace. And then we see that none of it is actually real. 
stole morale, stole team attention, wet mattresses. And I wondered about that because I wondered what that might look like for us. Um, for instance, you know, when we're talking about this new location and uh, I get really excited about that. I, I'm, I'm not a uh, super modern, um, I don't think I'm too vain. I do like to find, deal with it. Okay, we already talked about that. Um, but there's one thing I really want in my office one day. It's the only thing. I can have like fold up chairs, a desk made of cardboard, whatever. But I saw something at Ikea a few years ago that blew my mind, right? And it was just glass that was clear, kind of on a wall, and you flip a switch. And it goes frosted. Have you guys, anybody seen that? Some of you are like, this is real? It's real. I'm telling you, yes. So apparently it sends an electric shock like through the glass and it becomes frosted you can't see. But the weird thing was I was standing in a bathroom, right? So I'm like sitting there. I'm not using the bathroom. I'm just sitting there in the bathroom. Imagining you're on the toilet and you can see through it and it's clear. You flip a switch and you can see out, but nobody can see in. It's a little, a little weirder. But it kind of makes you feel free. You know what I'm saying? What am I talking about today? I don't know. But, but I was like, this is super cool. Like, you know, I, I would like that in the office. And that's when people would know when they really messed up. You come in my office and I flip the glass on. Like, Ooh, it's about to go bad. Trouble is brewing for you. Um, no, but, but I love going to Ikea. Uh, I, I like the idea of things and like cool modern furniture and feeling like I'm one of the cool kids, which, you know, I have been my entire life. Um, but, but I like you go there and everything looks modern. It's all put together. You know, you kind of walk through a bunch of little houses. And you're like, yeah, I can, I can see my house looking like this, right? Like beautiful furniture and kitchens that are supposed to cost $100,000 or like $20,000. And you're like, that's doable. $80,000 less than usual. You see couches. And like, man, this is beautiful. I want my room to look like this. Functional, modern, sleek, low price, great design. Now, the first time I went, I want you to know, I was angry when I left. I was, I was a little ticked off. We were walking through this beautiful thing, and I'm like, man, I want that chair. I want that. And I got my little pencil. You know the pencils that never work because they never sharpen them, and someone always broke it before you and just stuck the lead back in? Yeah, that's what it was, right? So I'm my little piece of paper, and I'm writing things down. I'm like, I want that chair. And like, oh, that couch is going to be awesome. And I'm thinking I'm going to get to the end of the line, right? And there's going to be a guy there waiting to serve me. Hello, Mr. Guida. We have all of your things. The truck is ready. Right? But it's going to be good. I'm munching on my dollar cinnamon roll. It's about as big as my face. It's a great day. And then I get through all the plants, and there's a huge warehouse. And I remember looking at my wife and going, what are all the things in here? And seeing people, those of you who've been to Ikea know I'm talking about the rest of you. I have on pins and needles right now. What's going to happen? And I see people with big flat bed, you know, carts. And there's just boxes and boxes and boxes lying on them. I'm like, I didn't see the boxes. That's weird. I just signed up for that. And I realized as I'm walking through that my couch that looks beautiful and modern and sleek and wonderful is actually inside one of those tiny boxes. And I feel like I've been hoodwinked, right? Like, I didn't order that. You showed me this beautiful bedroom set that I was going to have. I was going to throw it in the back of my car because I drove the minivan. It was awesome. Drive it home, throw it in my room, and I'm done. No. Listen, if you've never been to Ikea, I have terrible news for you. Someone spent hours putting those things together. And that's someone, when you buy it, is going to be you. Anybody ever been to Ikea before? And you're like, wow, what a letdown. Yeah, four of us. That's why that story didn't hit. That's fine. That's fine. So I couldn't believe it. I, I always wanted this functional, beautiful table. It was $9. I mean, have you been to rooms to go and seen what they charge? It's crazy. And then I got a flat box. And I remember looking, I was like, well, where's the ones that already made? How do I get that one? Just move it from the store room there. And then I kind of was like, all right, well, it's going to be in this little box. That's fine. I can deal with it, right? Just a couple legs, some cushions, won't be a big deal. So I opened the box and I pull it out. And apparently 986 screws and bolts fall out. 18 yards of beautiful fabric and foam cushion that you basically have to put together yourself. And I've told myself, well, I've made a terrible decision. Now I know I should have just gone to room to go. Because you get there, 
and they, they all these different pieces to put together to hold this bed or this table or whatever you're going to sleep on or lay on. The things that hold us together, they have all these little pieces, and they give you one little Allen wrench. They say, go to town, son. So I spent six days building my couch, right? You get there, and you're on the last instruction, number 246, and it's all in Swedish, so, you know, good luck in read English. You've got that picture of people smiling or frowning. That's it. It's all gives you. So I'm like, all right, we're finally done. I got this couch, and I look, and I've got a pile of screws and nuts and bolts. And I don't speak Swedish, so I don't know what to do with it. And now I've realized that if I do sit on this thing in the middle of the night, it's going to fall apart because I've obviously missed 18 bolts and I'm going to die and I'm going to meet Jesus that night. And then the whole thing goes away. And this is my experience. I get mad because I realize that I've been lied to. I've been hoodwinked. I'm upset. I wanted this beautiful product. I'd walked through this incredible showroom and dealt with 9 million people who apparently all of Charlotte goes to Ikea on Saturday or Atlanta. It's all, that's what they do from 11 to 3, the whole city. So you fight through kids and all these people, and you get this couch, and you said, I want that, and you get there, and it just doesn't measure up. Falls apart. I love the look. I love what it could have been, but I didn't know that it was going to take all of this stuff in between. And so then my couch becomes a, every time I sit on it, I think about how angry I am at it. Bitter. And it sounds crazy. I know you came here expecting to know what Ikea was like. So congratulations, you've accomplished the task. It sounds crazy, but the longer that I'm in ministry and the longer that I'm leading church, the more I'm actually seeing this very mentality that exists within everybody's faith. See, it sounds crazy, but our, the counseling that I tend to walk through people is two major themes. It's, it's money and it's relationships. And it's because we've allowed Christianity to become this kind of karma idea of faith. Like we've allowed that to be our lens of Jesus. And we say, okay, well, if I, if I make correct decision A, then the natural progression is going to be that everything is going to be wonderful. Right? Like, if I set my steps, if I do the right thing, then everything's going to even out and work out. We see the couch at Ikea, and we're like, I want that thing, and we don't realize all of the work that goes into it before. We see our parents and grandparents or the guy down the street who's driving the Tesla. We're like, yeah. Man, I love that. What I'm learning is, in nearly every single situation, we've taught ourselves that if someone else has it better or has an idealized option of something we want in life, it's typically because they don't deserve it and we do. Because comparison murders us. And we see it financially. We talk about driving a nice car. We're in TR. Can we throw one to the, to the TR folks? They got the best fishing gear, right? You see a bass boat down the road and you're like, I would like that. They don't deserve it. Give it to me. Or maybe you see somebody and you're like, man, they don't have to buy their clothes off Poshmark. I do. Cool. Whatever. Somebody else will see it. Fine. Well, they get to go on awesome vacations or they don't have to worry about where money is coming from to pay their bills this month. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe the brokenness isn't financially. Maybe it's relationally. And we've seen it with you're like, man, if if my wife would just act like she does, or if my husband would just love me the way that he loves her, or boyfriends, or girlfriends, or kids, if you've raised children, whew, God bless you. It is an absolute joy, but it is so hard, too. And sometimes, I mean, listen, go to the grocery store and watch one kid who's freaking out next to their mom. And, and watch the looks that people give. Determine your own heart when you hear a kid screaming bloody murder and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a banana, you'll be fine. Right? We've all been there. And we look at these other kids that are 
perfect and walk around and like, Father, I was wondering if I could give you a hug and a kiss because I love you so. Right? He goes, why can't my kid do that? I get it. People look at my mom and they're like, how did you do that? She's great. My mom and my wife laugh louder. But see, we've done that. We bought into this live, this Ikea face that we should have this perfect product right out of the box that we see something we wanted and that it should be that way because we deserve it because that's what we think and what we want. We're going to will it into existence, but life is going to be perfect. It should be as we want it. It shouldn't require any hard work. But see, that's what comparison does. Comparison is the thief of joy, folks. When you are putting yourself up against what you see other people, what you perceive other people have, it will always lead to letdown and hardship. And, and guys, listen, this is like the key of social media. I heard a quote that stuck with me for many, many years from a pastor. So I don't always really agree with a lot of stuff, but this thing you nailed. And so the problem with social media is that you're taking your life and everything you know in your heart, all the mess ups, all the sin, all the hurt, all the fear, all the insecurity, and you're putting that up against somebody else's highlight reel, and you're saying, I don't have what they have, and I never will, and it becomes a place of hardship and discouragement. And y'all, listen, ladies especially, I'm going to get on you real, real quick here. It's about to be summer and spring, and I know that you're going to spend time looking at Instagram seeing girls with perfect bodies who live in perfect places and have perfect things, you're going to tell yourself that you're not that and you're not good enough, and I want you to stop. And guys, you're going to look at those things and you're going to compare that to your wives, your girlfriends, and how they're not good enough, and I want you to stop. Because that's what we're doing. We're allowing that comparison to become our lives, and it's making us unfulfilled and angry. And it's allowing us to see our fulfillment and our desire and our hope in who we think we should be instead of who God has made us to be. There's a huge difference in that. But that's what comparison does. And the answer for that, as we get into Genesis 3 here, is that we have to stop looking at everyone else's finished product as our beginning bar of life. I remember coming out of college and I had a friend whose parents gave him a stupid amount of money. I put a down payment on a house for him, bought him a brand new car, like dropped 100K in his bank account the day he graduated, right? And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to get back on my graduation day. And his goal in life was to live as his parents lived right out of college. And I thought, man, like, I don't, there's no way I can do that. And my parents have, have fought and worked for 30 years. And yet that's how we live. We we look at other people's finished products is where we can start. And it causes this thing I like to call relational atrophy. Because we've sat and considered how relationships are hard and how life is hard and how ours doesn't look like Bill and Marge's, whoever. And we don't have what they have, and so we get unhappy and unfit. And so we give up. But guys, I'm here to tell you, it's not a new problem to have. It's not something that came up when Instagram was created. Instead, comparison in relationships and brokenness has always existed. So read with me through my very long introduction to Genesis 3. This is what happened. It's called the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, or you'll die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that a tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it as fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig, fig leaves together and made themselves mournful. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And I love this. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So listen, to give a little quick context, God's done a lot of really cool stuff up to this point. All right, I know this is typically where people get when they uh, decide on New Year's Day they're going to read the entire Bible. They get to about Genesis 3, and like, I'm done. There it is. All right, one person with me. But he's created the world, the heavens and the earth, the seas, the beasts, the man. And he decided to rest for a day. And then it says in the start of chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the garden? Now, this is what happened, guys. This is what I want to get to this morning. <laughs> we talk about why this brokenness happens, why this comparison happens, why things aren't good enough, why relationally we are bad and jealous and they break down, why things hurt. It's because this comparison game is not new. This comparison game started just after the seventh day of creation. And it's the serpent who goes to the woman and does three things. And the first is that. The first thing he does is that he questions the validity of God's truth. And he says, now listen, wait. Did God really say that? Like, did God really, are you sure? God really said, don't eat the fruit? Now, Eve does pretty well here, right? He's like, well, no, he didn't say that. He said, you know, I can't eat this one tree. He said, in fact, in fact, God said, don't even touch the tree. Just stay away from it. Or we're going to die. And here's what happened is, is we've allowed that to come into our own lives. He really likes to blame Satan in the fall and go, well, that's why the world screwed up. But we don't realize we live in that every day. We're still struggling in that. Because we also do that. We, we know what God says and we question that. Like, well, maybe, maybe this doesn't apply as well. Maybe this truth, this part of the Bible doesn't really matter. You say, well, like, will it really matter if I just, you know, it's just one time. I'm just one time. You know, I'll, next time I won't, I won't do that anymore. Well, did God really say that? I don't know. You know, culture was different, right? People, people didn't have as much stuff. Twitter wasn't there. Like, I know that if Twitter existed when the Bible was written, Paul would have said some different things about how we're supposed to treat people. Right? Like, if, if Peter and Paul had to deal with Donald Trump, it's a joke, keep your awake. All right, we're good. He says, did God really say that? But the very opportunity for us to redefine what God says is how broken relationship happens. Because some of us are still thinking about what I said about Donald Trump and going, is he Republican or Democrat? Does he want to build a wall? I'm not sure. I come back here? I don't know. Progressive liberal? No. Mm, that hit hard, didn't it? There we go. But here's what's happened. We've actually changed loving people with the gospel by loving people instead of the gospel. And we said, well, you know, what God said isn't really that important. doesn't really matter. He didn't mean that. And, and that's what Satan, the first thing Satan does is he, he questions this validity of God's truth. Did God really say that? You're walking in perfect relationship with God. Did he really say, don't eat the fruit? Did he really do that? Here's the thing. God gives us clear and distinct commands. Like, there's, no, there's no if, ands, or buts, or gray area here, right? Like God says, don't go mess with this tree. This one thing. Don't mess with this thing. But what does he do? The serpent tells her to get, get close. Take that step. 
Like, let, let's get as close to it as we can without actually breaking the rules. Hmm. And that's the easy part of the story. Just don't do it. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that if you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now listen, I, I've actually had a guy when I was, um, I don't remember where I was, I was in Charleston, and there was a guy who looked at me, and he quoted Proverbs 21.19 for why he decided he was going to end his relationship. He was actually engaged. And I said, well, what are you doing, man? Like, why? He's like, it's hard. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's good for me long term. I'm just having a hard time. She's just whining a lot. And I said, well, bro, that's not like reason just to not get married. And this is what he quoted. Do we have that verse, Proverbs 21.19? If not, okay, I'll just read it. Pardon me for a few seconds here. He literally looked at me, and this is the verse that he, that he read to me. <clears throat> oh, perfect. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. You guys hear all the husbands that are uh, going to be sleeping on the couches tonight? That's crazy. That was a quote of you. I said, bro, I don't think that's in context. Yeah. That was his quote. And, and I've heard it. And I've heard these conversations with people like, you know, what's the woman? Go back and read. She took of the fruit and ate and then gave some to her husband. Now, I've heard guys say, listen, it's her fault, right? If Eve never would have gone to Adam, then only half of our entire population would be cursed. And dudes would be walking the earth free with huge muscles and tons of money, right? That's how it works, right? If she just didn't give it to Adam. Let me help you out with something here, guys. And ladies, maybe this is something you should look for in a guy. If Adam was doing his job and hanging out in the garden that God had told him to tend a chapter before that, he never would have been there to eat the fruit. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if Adam was doing what he was supposed to, he could have been leading her properly, and the snake wouldn't have ever been able to approach her in the garden. But he wasn't tending. He was just being lazy. He wasn't being the leader. And here's the second, the second thing that the serpent does. We just read the way the enemy steals joy out of you in a relationship is that he takes God's providence and he twists it. How many of you, and you don't have to answer this, okay? How many of you have had anxiety for because of money and bills and stuff? Because you get a medicine or a medical bill, the things aren't working out, the job doesn't line up. Yo, this is this is a, a, this is exactly what Satan does. Listen, I will tell you, God absolutely will give you everything that you need. It might not be everything that you want, because your fulfillment isn't in what you have. You don't need a Tesla to be happy. But but this is from the onset of creation. This is what Satan does. Go back and read that. You will not surely die. God knows that if you eat it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like him. Listen, Adam and Eve were walking in perfect relationship with God. They had everything they needed. But what Satan did, what the serpent did, is he actually took that, and he took that provision and that need, and he twisted it and told them, hey, it's not good enough for what you're doing right now. You don't have enough. What you are is not good enough. So if you just, if you just go touch the fruit and eat it, You'll be like God. You'll have wisdom. You'll have everything you need. You can be this. And if you don't believe me, I want you, you can go to Matthew 4, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Satan's tactics don't change. He's actually with Jesus in the middle of tempting him. And Satan puts Jesus up in front of the entire city. 
the entire kingdom. Because if you would just bow to me, I'll give you all of this. Like if we can just switch those roles and I can help you understand what you don't have, then I can give you all the things that I think you want. That's the same thing Satan does. The second thing is the way he steals relationships and fulfillment from us is that he takes provision and he twists it. And he tells us that you aren't good enough and that neither are they and what they have you'll never want. I've never met anyone who was like, you know what, I have enough money. I've got enough food. You know what I, you know what I don't need? I don't need a 20-ounce porterhouse tonight. I'm going to have some ramen noodles. If you think that, then you should just be counseling. You're crazy. But I've never seen that because that's what Satan does. It's one of the one of the main things he did on the onset of creation. He took God's provision and he twisted it and he told Eve that she needed something she was never going to have. He says, you know, God doesn't really think that. God's just scared. Like God didn't have that rule for your safety and security. God had it because he just doesn't want you to be like him. And that authority and that fear is what leads Eve to pain. And then to Peter Hudson. But notice what the Bible says about the forbidden fruit. It looked good, right? It was, a, it was appetizing. It would fill her up. It was good for eating. It was good to accomplish her wisdom, which she wanted. But, but this is how it works, guys. When we talk about relationships, when we talk about the hard work that goes into it, we think that our marriages should be perfect like the 80-year-olds who die within three weeks of each other because they're heartbroken, and that's a real thing. And, and we're not willing to put all the work in before it because we think we're just supposed to accomplish that and not struggle and not fight and not work for each other. And so we're never happy. But this is the very thing. That Satan does, he takes that provision and he twists it. Because the forbidden fruit looks good. So we're mad at our wives, we go to the gym and we see a girl who's working out like we wish she would. She didn't just have to hang out with those kids all the time. And ideas start popping. The broken is It's because that very thing, the idea of forbidden fruit is that it's very clear. It looks good. It would work good for a little while. But it will ruin everything. And this is what happens to us. We, we rationalize these things. Right? He was driven into the arms of another man. No. No. Mm-mm. False. Incorrect. Or when he's Addicted to pornography, we won't stop. No, mm-mm, nope, incorrect, stop, no. We're rationalizing this thing that we're okay. We're okay with sin because for a little while it takes care of us, and when that eats itself into relationship and breaks down, all we do, all we have is symptoms because we never dealt with the root of the whole beginning anyway. Is that we allowed the world to tell us what God's provision and care for us looks like, and we substitute that with fake and false. And fail. I'm, I'm tired of seeing marriages and relationships fail and fall through. Because we have told ourselves that we are supposed to be happy all the time. And it's not worth working on. It's not worth fighting through. And we quote verses like 1 Corinthians 13 at every wedding I've ever been to, right? I've gotten to a point where I don't even offer it anymore. I was like, you guys want scripture in your wedding? That's the first Corinthians 13. Great. But do you know what I would love? I would love to read Ephesians 5 at a wedding. I'm going to read that to you. Now I've got some folks in here I'm doing their wedding. So you better have a little And you're exactly who they are. This is what I would love to read at a wedding. Because it's true, love is patient, love is kind, love is all those things. So those are things we're supposed to give everyone that we see. This is what this is what the gospel says relationships and love are supposed to be. Why? Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
Now, some of y'all already like submit. So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. But husbands, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nurses and cares with it. This is Christ like the church. Listen, you want to know why some assemblies are part in relationships? Because I, I don't know that we're willing to do that. Because we've traded twisted lives that the serpent told Eve and allowed them in our own lives, and we've said, well, she's supposed to look this way, or he's supposed to make this much money. Instead of going, well, I'm supposed to let him lead me, and he's supposed to take care of me and love me and present me as holy and blemish-free. But our culture is that we get around with our guy friends, and we talk trash about our wives and how they're not good enough. Or vice versa. Or we're with somebody while we're standing looking for the next best thing. And we wonder why there's not intimacy in relationship. It's because... Satan is using the same things to break our relationships now that he used in Genesis 3 and that he used in Matthew 4 with Jesus and his myth. We don't see that because we just see Instagram photos of happy couples on that. But the call husband is to give himself up for her. To sacrifice for her. Believe me. And I'm I'm famously harder on guys and girls than them. Any of the guys who've been through my youth group for many years can tell you that. Because guys are supposed to lead. They're supposed to present her as holy and blameless. They take care of her. And it's not so that you can lord over her in authority. It's so that when it's time to leave and you have to make a decision that she knows you care for her, love her, would give yourself up for her, and therefore whatever it is you feel like the Lord is leading you to do as a husband, he just seen that she can follow you all the way to the brink because she knows that you are hearing from God and not from your own selfish desires. This is not a Lord over you type of conversation, okay? It's not, I'm the man, I make this decision. And if you ever utter that, I will smack you. And if you're bigger than me, I'll run after that. That's not that's not what this is. That's not what relationship is. But here's what happens. The third way that the enemy steals and destroys relationship is that trust and fulfillment give way to blame and to shame. Verse 8 through 11. Let me read that real quick because I've been talking forever. I promise I have a goal of shortening these one day, but in the meantime, I have to do it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now listen, I'm going to be very frank with you, okay? Some shame is a good thing. Please do not come to church next week naked and tell me that you're trying to get us back uh, to where we were relationally in the garden before the fall, okay? I will not let you in. Yes, especially you. All right, it happened. Let's just deal with it and understand that's a part of the redemptive history here, okay? Wear clothes next week. But, but notice what happens here. So, so God knows. They break the code. God says, how did you know you were naked? And notice notice Adam's response, right? Because again, the third way Satan messes up relationships is that he takes fulfillment and trust and gives way to shame and blame. Let's read verse 12 together. This is what Adam says. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Hmm. And before, before God can even deal with that, 
he pipes in, right? And she goes, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So God asked Adam, how did you know? Adam says it's her fault. She says it's his fault. Because blame happens. Because when things fall apart, instead of us finding community and going to each other and looking for hope and fulfillment, we just point fingers because it feels better for us not to be the reason it's going down. Let me tell you, the true answer to the problem of relationship is that the reason we blame each other and shame each other and feel guilt is because we'd rather deal with treating the symptoms instead of addressing the fact that the snake is in the garden the entire time. Because the snake can never be there in the first place. So by the time that shame and blame have come, by the time that we are pointing fingers at each other saying, it's not my fault, it's theirs, here's what happens. We've already missed that. The snake has already bitten us and gone. And now we're left with the poison and the pain. We've missed the genesis of the problem. In church, as we fight through these next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. And it's going to hit all these things. But listen, if your relationship, one that you're in or have been in or one that you'll be in the future, is riddled with insecurity, with sexual sin, with a lack of intimacy in marriage, or whatever it might be, you can't just deal with symptoms. If you deal with symptoms, they will always come back because the poison is still there. See, again, Eve's problem wasn't that she ate the fruit. Eve's problem wasn't that she shared the fruit with Adam. Eve's problem wasn't that she looked at the tree and desired it and thought it would be good. Eve's problem wasn't that she forgot what God said because she obviously didn't. Eve's problem was that she messed up and spoke to the snake in the first place. And if you're here and your relationship is struggling, you don't have one at all, and it's killing you, and you're wondering why they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband a wife and you don't, here's what I want you to know. Make sure that you dealt with the snake in the garden first. If you're struggling, your marriage is faltering and it's hard, you don't know what to do, figure out what the snake is. Psalm 139, it's a beautiful psalm. Read it. Verse 23 and 24 talks about us asking God, says, God, reveal my heart to me. Show me, show me in any way that I need to change. So do that. Find the snake in the garden. Wives who feel inadequate, guys who can't stop looking and watching and objectifying because, guys, I've got news for you. If you're willing to do that on a TV screen or a movie, you're willing to do it as you walk around the mall anyway. Deal with how you see people. But the number one way for guys to deal with that sexual sin is to get back to creation and understand how God created people and what people reflect. Now, women aren't pieces of meat to be needed and objectified, but they're to be loved and served. And that goes for ladies, too. Not the girl you see that you'll never measure up to, or the wife. Or the supermodel or celebrity or whatever. It's also not a piece of need, but it's someone else created in the image of God. So, if you're inadequate, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're cool with that and you're just lonely and tired and worn out and tired of fighting. Stop. Stop telling yourself everyone is against you. If you're lonely, find community. Listen, our group had 22 people in it as a small group. All right, we need some people. You got to split. And I know there are people in the community. Come find them. Take steps. You're hurt or angry. You feel betrayed or you can't get over that thing they did. Then I want to ask you to do this. Apologize. Because if you're blaming them, they're probably blaming you too. So maybe you just need to apologize. Maybe you need to seek resolution. I heard a quote the other day that I thought was beautiful for this. And it said, holding a grudge and not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Kill the 
you can kill the snake in the garden, never have the chance to die. You can go on living, comparing, being upset, being angry, coveting. It's not what other people have that you don't look for. You can kill the snake in the garden. Before it ever has a chance. But Father, you're good. Thank you for your truth. You know it's hard. Even though it means that we don't and we don't get to be angry about everything. But God, you don't call us to average. You call us to redemption. Father, you can make all things new because that's what you promised and that's what you do. And I, I just believe maybe it's time for us to think that to trust that. But Jesus begins with us. We finished service here today, Father. I pray that you would do that, that we would let go of our fears and insecurities in relationships, and financially, and with friends and relatives, that we trust you, that we would just do what we're called to do, and that's to love you and wait for you to take care of us. Father, help us. Help us to keep you and find the snake in the garden so that it wouldn't take what you've given us with your life. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever had before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.